0: All right, brothers and sisters, now, if you will, take out your Bibles with me. And today, we are looking at John chapter 16. Gospel of John chapter 16. We'll start here in just a moment at verse 16. John 16, verses 16 and following. It seems like every day, we look out into the world, we see what is going on, and we find yet another reason to be discouraged another reason to be discouraged it seems as we watch the news as we see what comes across our phones and our tablets and whatnot, that people are losing their ever loving minds we watch as men want to become women and women want to become men We see people who want to teach our children to love what God hates and to hate what God loves. Hatred and violence and murder abound. Murder. The government seems intent on suppressing and oppressing those who live according to the Bible. Politicians stir up division by demonizing everyone who sits on the other side of the aisle, And then natural disaster, it seems, after natural disaster, take lives and destroy homes. I find a lot of reasons to be discouraged in the world today. You can find a hundred reasons to be anxious, to be uneasy, to be angry, to be depressed. And yet in the midst of all of it, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus gives us hope in times of despair. And so today, my simple plea to you is this. Take heart, for Christ has overcome. Take heart, Christ has overcome. We serve a risen Savior today, amen? He is alive forevermore. He died, but he did not stay dead. Death could not hold him, Peter says in Acts chapter 2. It was not powerful enough to hold the author of life. And right now, being alive, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, awaiting the time where God will tell him, go back, return. And bring our people to be with us for all eternity. Redeem our people. Redeem creation itself. And so we live in that hope. We live in that anxious anticipation. Even amidst everything in this world that causes us to see despair, anxiety, depression as so... Normal. It seems like it's the only option at times, and yet we have to remind ourselves. Today, what we are doing is we are reminding one another. We're preaching to one another. We're helping one another hold on and take heart because Jesus has overcome. Let's look at our text today John 16. I want to read to you from verses 16 through 22 and then verse 33. As a minister, I'll just say this before we read. As a minister, We preach on Easter each year, and so each year you turn back to the, it seems, the same texts over and over again, and you try to find a a unique text that perhaps isn't your typical Easter text. I hope this is one for you. This is absolutely an Easter text, but not one that we might turn to traditionally. And so this is God's word. John records the words of Jesus here in the upper room the night he would be arrested, Verse 16, he says to his disciples, a little while and you will see me no more. And then again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. And so they they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And then jump down to verse 33. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus' words to his disciples are also words for us today. He spoke to his disciples, but he's speaking to more than just his disciples here. And I want to show you what I mean. Specifically, look at verse 20, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Brothers and sisters, we weep while the world rejoices. This is the life that we are called to as believers. We weep while the world rejoices. The sorrow of that Saturday, after Jesus had died for the disciples, must have been absolutely awful. That Saturday, where he had died, he was gone. It seemed like all hope was lost. They are afraid. Will the authorities come and arrest us and put us to death as well for being his followers? They had no hope. They did not know what was going to happen next. And while they hid and wept, the world outside rejoiced because they had finally gotten rid of that troublemaker. They would no longer have to feel convicted by his sermons. They would no longer have to feel the guilt of their sin because of this man who keeps, who keeps bringing up our sin before us. They would no longer have to feel like their deeds had been exposed by his uncomfortable light. They had gotten rid of that guy. We are living in that period right now. This this whole period that we live in, this whole age that we live in, is like what they call sometimes Silent Saturday. That dark day before the resurrection. We are living in a period like that right now. In a world that believes... That they have thrown off the shackles of having to bow before some God. A world that believes that God is no more. A world that proclaims God is dead. And we're free to embrace our passions with no guilt. And meanwhile, true believers look on through tears. As the world around us walks further and further away from God. And embraces and celebrates what he hates, it causes discouragement, causes despair, does it not? And we we have to bear up as Christians under ever-increasing persecution. We have watched over the past decades as Christianity has been pushed farther and farther to the margins. We have watched as our brothers and sisters are attacked for simply believing what the Bible says, for simply believing what Christians have believed for 2,000 some odd years. And brothers and sisters, I am here to tell you, it is not going to get any easier. But I'm also here to tell you that this should not inspire outrage among us. It should not inspire outrage. As if we are surprised that this is how the world treats Christians. Because this is exactly what our Lord told us to expect. It's exactly what God told us would happen in his word. In fact, God says through the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is exactly what God and exactly what the Lord Christ told us would happen. And it is oh so rare to find Christians reacting as Peter tells us in that passage. It is so rare to rejoice, to be at peace amidst all of the persecution, to consider ourselves blessed. No, instead, what we find is incredulous outrage and confrontation and bitterness from those who claim to be people of this book. Brothers and sisters, it should not surprise us. In many ways, this is a time of weeping. It is. It is a time of weeping in so many different ways. But there is peace and joy that no one can touch in knowing what happens next. There is peace and joy that no one can take away from you in knowing what happens next. The disciples were in the dark on that Saturday. They were weeping. They were afraid. They were hiding. But had they known what was about to happen the next morning, it would have completely changed their outlook. It would have completely changed their disposition, their, their hearts. Everything would have changed had they known what was about to happen. They didn't. And so they were in the dark. They were afraid. They were weeping. But brothers and sisters, we do know what is about to happen. We do know what is coming next. We know that even though he is gone, we will see him again. Those words of Jesus' to his disciples, a time is coming, a little while, and you will see me no longer, and then a little while and you will see me. It's not just for the resurrection. It's for the second coming. We are in that time where he has been taken away from us. But we will see him again. We know we will see him again. And when he returns, he will set all things right. And so it is our task to wait with patience and faith and contentment and even joy because we know what's coming next. When you know what's coming next, it changes everything. Now, notice also what Jesus says in verse 20. At the end of verse 20, he says, you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. He uses the wonderful illustration of a woman in labor having a baby. Right? She's in anguish. She's in pain because it says her hour has come. The baby's coming. It is not comfortable. There is a lot of pain. There is a lot of suffering in those moments. But when the baby arrives, all the pain is forgotten. All the pain is worth it because of this child. It's in my arms, right? We forget all of the pain because a human being, a new life has been brought into the world. Your son, your daughter. For Jesus' followers, all their sorrow was swept away in a wave of joy when they saw the resurrected Lord. And they realized it was actually him. He really is here. He's really not dead. This is astounding. This is amazing. This is something we never even hoped for, and all of our sorrow is wiped away. And Jesus says, you will have a joy that no one will take from you. Notice that at the end of verse 22. No one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. In fact, that's what you find as you keep reading the Bible, that these apostles and his other followers, they in fact did have a joy that no one could take away. People tried to take it away, and they couldn't. For example, in Acts chapter 5, Jesus has already ascended back up into heaven and gone. John and Peter have been preaching the gospel. They've gotten arrested. And then Acts chapter 5, verse 40, we read this. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And then they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then it says, they, the disciples, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You see the power in this, right? They beat them. They beat them and they're happy about it. How can you stop people like that? You beat them and they get happy. What in the world is going on? They have a joy that you can't take. Jesus said it would happen and then it happens. Can you imagine the feeling of them coming away from that and realizing it's exactly like he said. We, we had our doubts. We didn't know if we would be strong enough. It's exactly like he said. You can't stop people like that. It's a joy that no one can take. Brothers and sisters, the world is not going to be converted because a bunch of Christians are outraged that their country has gone down the tubes. They are not going to flock into our church services because we are complaining about how unfair it is the way Christians are treated. What will be irresistibly attractive, though, is an unshakable joy in the midst of all of the persecution and suffering. An unshakable joy that no one can touch. That will confuse people and that will bring people to ask, what, what, what is that? How in the world are they like that? What do they have? It will be irresistibly attractive. One of the greatest preachers in church history was a man by the name of John Chrysostom. His name literally means golden mouth." And he fulfilled that name, as people often do. He was bold in preaching God's word and calling out sin, even among the most powerful of his day. And in the early 5th century, that's how far back this goes, in the early 5th century, the Roman empress Eudoxia decided that she was done with John Chrysostom and all of his preaching. She didn't like how he made her feel. She didn't like how the truth felt. She's done with him. And she's the empress. So she brought him in and threatened to banish him if he continued preaching. And he responded by saying, you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. And then she says, but I will kill you. And he said, no, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. And then she says, then I will take away your possessions. He says, no, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there." And then she said, but I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. And he said, no, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. And then he said, I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Secure in Christ, a joy that no one can take away. Brothers and sisters, the suffering of this world is temporary. It is temporary. In Psalm 30, verse 5, we read, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. When we have been in heaven with the Lord for 10,000 years, if we are allowed to look back and remember the sufferings of this life, they will seem as nothing. They will seem as nothing. Sometimes when we go through suffering people with good intentions, but not really thinking through what they're saying, come up to us and say things like, everything's going to be okay. And sometimes I just want to look right back at those people and say, you don't know that. You have no idea. You're just saying that. Try to make me not feel bad in your presence. Sometimes it's really frustrating because really we don't have any clue that it's going to be okay. We don't have any clue that it's just going to start getting better. Sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes it's horrible. Sometimes our worst fears are realized. Sometimes it gets so bad that no one can say anything anymore. They have no idea what to say. But brothers and sisters, there is a sense in which there is coming a day when it will be okay. Everything will be okay one day for those of us who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, there is coming a day where everything will be okay. It might not come as soon as you like. Sometimes when we are in the midst of these sufferings, it seems like they will never end. But when we have been there for 10,000 years, the sufferings of this life will seem as nothing. Now, I want to draw your attention back to what Jesus said at the very beginning of our passage, where he looks at his disciples He knows he's about to be taken from them. And he says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. And what this tells us, brothers and sisters, is that death is not the end. Death is not the end. The resurrection shows us death is not the end. The resurrection means we have hope that death is not the end. There is another life coming after death death. There is another life coming after death. The resurrection gives us hope. There is an eternity in paradise that awaits those who give their lives to Christ. An eternity to do everything that you couldn't do in this life. An eternity to meet everyone that you never met. An eternity to make up the time that you never got with those loved ones. And an eternity to know and love and worship our Father and Savior. Death is not the end. Now this world, the world that we live in is so deceived on this point. Deceived in in two very different ways. Many in this world are trying desperately to convince themselves that death is the end. Why? Because if death is the end, if we are just annihilated to nothingness after we die, well then let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's, let's indulge. Let's take all of the pleasure we can because there's no consequence, ultimately. There's no consequence if death is the end. That's one way our world is deceived on this point. But the other way is a way that I see all the time as a minister, all the time in the, the Bible belt where we live, if you will, and it happens all the time at funerals. When I attend a funeral, when I do a funeral... For people who really do not live for the Lord at all, every single one of them to a man says, we're going to see that loved one again in heaven. Confidently. As if a life lived for the Lord has no bearing on it. As if they're universalists. As if everyone just goes to heaven and it doesn't matter. I realize there, there's, a, there's a sensitivity that you have to have in those moments. It's not the time to correct people's theology. It really isn't. But it's sad. It's oh so sad. Because they have convinced themselves that no matter what I do, no matter how I live, no matter if I give heed to the Lord at all or not, I'm going to go to heaven and so is my loved one that just passed away. Brothers and sisters, the world is so deceived on this point. Death is not the end, and that is wonderful news for those of us who are in Christ. But it is awful news for those who have lived for themselves and have not obeyed the gospel. Death is not the end. Death is not an escape from the Lord and from the reckoning that we each have to give to him. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus speaks of the resurrection like this. He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We will all experience a resurrection, no matter who you are. We will all be resurrected. We will all be given bodies that will never die again. And for those who are in Christ, that is the most wonderful news in the world. For those that aren't, it is the most awful. Just before that passage right there, just before what Jesus said that we just saw, in John five twenty five, he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now Jesus was speaking a little, little double meaning there, I believe. Because in the end, in the end, as he just said in John 5, 28 and 29, in the end, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and respond to his voice. In the end, that will happen. But that's not all that that means, John five twenty-five: The time is now here, now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Have you heard his voice? Have you responded out of your spiritual death? Are you alive today spiritually because of Jesus? Do you know what that means? Jesus is calling, his voice is going forth through the gospel proclaimed to all the world. And so many who are dead are hearing that voice and are responding and are coming out of their own grave to newness of life. It's happening all the time. It's happening all over the world. It has happened to many of you. Christ calls forth by His Word. And when you hear His Word, it awakens faith inside of you. And when faith is awakened, you respond to the Gospel. You repent of your sins. You give your life to Christ. You're baptized into His name. You die to yourself. And then you raise Out of that water, you are raised a new creation, newness of life. And what's odd about this kind of call and response is that not all respond. In the end, all will respond. In the end, Jesus' voice will go forth and all who are in the tombs will respond. It will not be a choice. But right now, his word goes forth. And it's like it was when he was on the earth. He spoke, he taught, and some received him, but some who heard the very same message rejected it. Which one are you? Where will you be in that? When the judgment day comes and Jesus returns to redeem God's children and to defeat his enemies, which side will you be on? Which side will he say you are on? Have you responded to Jesus' voice? And so I leave you with this. Verse 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Some of us just need to hear that this morning. Hear it this morning. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let it sink in. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. It will be okay. One day. Because Jesus has overcome temptation. Jesus has overcome sin. Jesus has overcome the enemies of God. Jesus has overcome Satan. Jesus has overcome suffering. And Jesus has overcome death. You will have tribulation. Some of you are in it right now, I know. And some of us are just living on the edge of it. Some of us, it will happen to us and we can't even see it yet. And it will be excruciating. And it will be sad. And our hearts will break. And we will feel like they will never be whole again. And Jesus says to all of us, you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And that is our hope. That is our hope. The resurrection gives us that hope. He has overcome everything. He has overcome the world. And that is the same one that keeps us in the father. Jesus is the same one through faith in him that ensures that when judgment day comes, we will be protected and saved from the wrath of God, but only for those who are in Christ. If you are suffering today, know that Jesus expected it. Jesus told us it would happen. But no matter what you are suffering, I'll leave you with this quote from D.A. Carson. You're not suffering from anything a good resurrection can't fix. Amen. Right now, we're going to take some time and we're going to pray silently. We ask every week after we are in the word here at Columbia Christian, every week after we hear from God, we ask that you go back and respond to him. We've heard from God. Now let's let him hear from us. We take this time as private prayer and reflection, private response to the Lord. You go to God and you pour out your heart to Him with whatever He has laid on it. And then after we pray together, we're going to sing together. Right now, let's pray for just a few moments.